cover story. Cover a story or attain that coveted story. Get it? That is exactly what you want. Quoted as the expert, the story, headline, the spin. Every week, join us to talk about all things important to relating to the public. Your public. Craft your image, promote your products, create expert status, become the buzz. Join us with the pros. PR 101, crisis management, media blitzing, it's all here on Cover Story. We're reserving a headline for you. Hello, everyone. This is Brandy Shapiro-Babin, and I am very happy to be joined here uh, with myself as my own co-host because we have a fabulous guest, and I have to say... I love having David McGinnis as my co-host, but this guest is just for me. Uh, I had the wonderful opportunity of meeting him out at the Public Relations Society of America's International Conference in Salt Lake City, and I have to say, outside of being intensely intelligent uh, and charismatic, wow, what a story, most of which he can't tell, but our featured guest today is uh, Jim Lukachevsky, who's the ABC APR fellow, APPRSA, CCEP, um, and truly Jim's background is in um, crisis management. He has uh, more credits to his name in helping companies who are, I guess, I guess, you know what, there's so many things to say about Jim, we'll just, we'll just start talking to Jim, but he's the guy that gets called before the police, I guess, get called. Welcome, Jim. Good to be with you. <laughs> How are you? I'm good, thank you. I'm glad, I'm glad. What a fabulous conference th- that was at the PRSA. It was interesting. I was busy working with the time, so I didn't get, to, I didn't get to the whole thing, but it was, certainly was well-received. It really was. And I have to say, just from a, um, a, a purely me position, what a fabulous venue. Salt Lake City is a very interesting city, that's for sure. I got to see a little bit of the town, and the mountains were beautiful, and we stayed in this wonderful hotel, so it was really a terrific experience. I mean, truly, the hotel, for those of you you know, who have preconceived notions about Salt Lake City, which I did, this hotel was built specifically for the Olympics. It was a five-star hotel. Each room is a suite, and I swear to God, maybe this isn't the right way of saying it, but there, the employee staff there, I think they were drinking some sort of Kool-Aid because they were so nice. It was really refreshing. So anyway, <laughs> we we did a we did a brief interview with Jim, which I know a lot of you have heard and really soaked it up. Um, but today we're going to go a little bit more in depth, beginning with you know we're going to talk about crisis strategy for leaders and obviously you know trusted advisors. Then we're going to go into you know why should your boss listen to you and that whole topic which we began in Salt Lake City, like do you even want to be at the table? And then of course we're going to go into you know. Um, licensing of U.S. public relations practitioners. So let's let, let's start at the beginning, and if you can give people a brief background as to, you know, who you are and really how you got involved, the way that you have gotten involved with these companies, that would be a wonderful way to start. Well, I think uh, first place to go for reference is go to my website at e911.com, www.e911.com. There's a lot of tremendous information there about crisis management and about, and about what I do and the things that I think about. But basically, um, I've been doing this for more than 25 years, and um, and my my role basically with companies is to deal on the toughest, uh, touchiest, most sensitive kinds of problems uh, that you can imagine, and I work. Uh, mostly in North America, but I also have clients in, in Western Western uh, Europe and elsewhere. Um, and uh, typically, what I do is um, is work with the very senior management of organizations. I, I work with the communicators as well, but more often than not, it's really with the operating managers 
to deal with the kinds of issues that face that, that they face that can change their careers and change the course of the company's uh, future. Um, we can talk about some of those um, in, uh, in you know, theoretically at least, because my client list is actually confidential. But I can talk about it and I write about it and teach a lot about the things that I learn in doing these kinds of very difficult, sensitive, and um, and often extremely high-profile circumstances. Right, understandably. I mean, you, you've dealt with recalls. You've dealt with... There's probably, if you can think of the kind of tr- any kind of trouble out there, like, likely, pretty likely I've worked on it. Um, labor troubles, um, uh, government troubles, legal troubles, um, <clears throat> customer troubles, consumer troubles. Um, I've worked on just uh, really uh, probably, I think I did a catalog once for an article that was being written, and it was something like 350 discrete different kinds of situations. Wow, which is great. And I know that um, PR Week has you down as a... What are the 22 crunch time counselors who should be on the speed dial in yeah, <laughs> a crisis, which is which is terrific, and you've been quoted in almost every major magazine. But so, but let's let's talk a little bit about how. I mean, how did you find your way into? I mean, this is a very very. A, this is a very specific part of the marketplace, and B, what you are doing is you're taking people who are in complete crisis, who are are looking at the world um, with, with the glass half empty. And now they have this man coming in saying, okay, great, you know what, I don't work within your company, but I'm going to tell you basically what to do. How, how, do you, how did you get to that place where you have gained so much confidence with people? Well, it's, it's, it's evolved over time, but um, basically uh, I, my, my career in public relations sort of started this way. It's, and this is, I'll, I'll kind of keep the story short and interesting, but um, this is many years ago. But I'd gone back to school <clears throat> to actually finish my bachelor's degree in public relations and in the process of this, I was I was 31 years old when I went back to school in Minnesota, actually. And um, what happened there was that um, I, I came as an intern into the governor's office, which is a, sort of a strange thing as it were to just, you know, get yourself inserted in that area of government. But um, I turned out I was the oldest intern. In fact, they called me the old guy because <laughs> I was 31 years old. And so they they sort of like they gave all the stuff that that was really kind of crunchy to me. And so basically they had, they had, I worked for a very popular politician, and um, so they had some guy to do good news and some guy to do no news, and then they needed somebody to deal with bad news, and that was me. Interesting. Whenever anything adverse happened, um, people called me, and then I would get them into the governor or take care of the problem for them, that sort of thing. And that's really kind of how it started. Um, and when I left government after six and a half years, and I started a small firm, in Minneapolis, which specialized in really in two things, coaching executives and in dealing with these tough, touchy, sensitive situations. So it began really back in 1978 with the start of that first uh, firm uh, in Minneapolis, and then uh, we moved to New York, the New York area, in the 1986 and have been working out of the New York area ever since. It's and right. uh, my practice is primarily with uh, with the largest companies you hear about. Mm-hmm. Um and uh, and as I say, they're based. Many of them are based, of course, outside the United States. So my practice is really global in that sense. And um, they call when things are are, are really difficult. And, and it's interesting when you talk about what I do there. T- typically, what happens is if if someone calls me and says they have a problem, when we talk about it briefly, um, and um, <clears throat> they, but they they'll, they'll call and say, "Well, Jim, we're looking at three companies um, to do help us on this problem." I usually tell them immediately, well, why don't you call me back when you need only one company? Right. Because in, in my world, if you've got time to bid the job, it's not a it's crisis. Not, it's it not a, a crisis. a bad day for somebody, but it's not a crisis. So. You know what? I think that's a really good point to be made just for the listening audience. 
I, I think that's a really good point to be made for the listening audience. Mm-hmm. If you have time to interview a bunch of people, like a right. reality check for you, it ain't yep. so bad. Well, I think basically <laughs> the, the, the problem with most um, <clears throat> definitions of crisis is that is that they're they're inadequate. They're, 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 everything else is everything. Everything needs to be a crisis, and so that means um, nobody really cares and deals with it until it has to be has to be dealt with. I just find it interesting because most people, I mean, I know people who started off at dentists and they became entrepreneurs. You know, first of all, why did you go back to school at 31? The, the truth is my wife made me do it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> That's most men's excuses. And it was really, it changed my life. So it was a good, really good thing to do. I recommend it to people. By the way, the other, the other thing I recommend is that... Um, it, by accident, I got into government, and uh, basically that, that's, that's really how I made my career change. I did graduate from the program I was in, and uh, I was offered a job by the governor's office and took it, and, and, and it was, it was, I was the deputy commissioner for radio and television for this governor for about a year and a half, two years, and um, the one thing I learned was that um, if you have time in your life, you want to work in government, especially in the United States or Canada. You just really do, and I only say that because I don't know about governments outside there, but it's, it's an amazing experience which you really have to undertake just to understand what it's all about and how amazing it is to, to see a, a democracy function, even if it's just from the state level, which I saw, and um, so I, I recommend it. So what were, the key, what were the key elements that you took out of working with government that's different than working with a private sector that you utilize in the private sector that they may not be privy to to best you know, work within their crisis management s- scenarios? Well, I think I think the biggest thing in government, the biggest difference, especially the two biggest differences, are one: um, people tend to go, come together in government to get things done. Government is a place where where you you get things done by essentially bringing a lot of views and ideas and concepts together, and then you know monkeying with them and committee committee meeting them and that sort of thing, uh, debate them and that sort of thing, and then come up with these with public policies and public direction. That's different than the private sector where there's really more command and control in, in what's done and what happens in organizations. The, the second difference, I think, is that everybody you, you work with in government, for the most part, is there for their own reasons, but they're reasons of personal commitment. And, uh, and that's why people stay in government. I, I know that you know, the bureaucrats get in line for lots of things, but, but in government, you, no matter where you are in the system, you, there are people who may believe things that are quite different from you, but the fact is they believe things, and they, they act on those beliefs by coming to work every day. Um, and in business, in the private sector, the motivation is different. It's profit, or it can be for nonprofit as well. But it's interesting to me the difference in, in commitment level and, and how people with great and very differing views can work together to get something done or to move things forward. So it was a very enriching experience, and I enjoyed the six or seven years that I, that I did it and recommend it to everyone who gets a chance in your life to do it. You should take a shot at it and good, try. Good for you. Now, this is just a, a personal question for me. You know, let, let's go back to the Kennedy era, for example. You know, you looked at them as Camelot. You know, they, they could do no wrong. They were a beautiful couple. You know, the world was a beautiful place. They inspired middle America. If you just walk the straight and narrow path, you too could live the American dream. Although, you know, behind the scenes, you know, allegedly, you know, Kennedy was, you know, a whoremonger. He was, you know, doing business with Sam, with the mob, with Sam Giancana and, and, and the whole Castro scenario. And all of this was kept from the American public. And now, like nothing's sacred, nothing is kept behind, you know, behind closed doors to sort of keep the integrity of what America's meant to be. What's your, what is your, your feeling on that? Well, yes, I think that's definitely true. I mean, having, you know, having served in government and in information capacity, 
um, with the governor who actually was, this was, this was back in 1973, so your question's relevant because in that time frame, this governor that I worked for was a young man with a young wife and two young children, a boy and a girl, and um, he had that sort of Kennedy-esque air about him, and therefore he was quite visible and quite a popular person in the media. Um, but the times were quite different then. There was a different level of respect, a different level of privacy. Some things were simply not covered or ignored. And today, that's simply not the case, as you point out. Everything, everything is on the table. Transparency is the, the issue. And um, uh, it's, it's, um, it's interesting to me that um, the outcomes, though, are somewhat the same. For example, in the, in the recent scandal with uh, the gentleman from was it Mississippi, um, the congressman who resigned from Congress, and then right. just, just, you know, basically nobody, nobody got punished for that. Nobody, you know, life moves on. This is sort of the nature of government. Um, and that, that much, I think, is pretty much the same from back then. There wasn't much punishment meted out uh, in when, when there were infractions uh, uh, and things happened. So that's pretty much remained the same. And other, other things are really quite similar. I mean, journalism is, is the same. Um, that It really hasn't changed that much. Um, what, what, what has happened is the, change, is the coverage of specific areas of government has mm-hmm. changed to become more open and aggressive. Well, it's just it's the control aspect. I mean, you know, this is sort of a... I remember being at, um, and then we'll get back on topic, but I, I just find this interesting. We, I was at the Holyfield fight. The, um, God, the Holyfield, what is the other boxer's name? Yes, uh-huh. Okay, I don't remember. The, the big right, the big bite fight. Yeah. So, and it's this whole long story, and I was with my mom, and, you know, this whole melee came, and, and uh, you know, they ended up literally evacuating the MGM, which I think, like, they've evacuated a hotel in... Um, Las Vegas three times. One was for the Desert Inn when it was on caught on fire, and another time and now the MGM. And we were there. We saw the SWAT team show up. We saw people with guns that were not police officers running through. We saw. I mean, my God, I was huddled near the little the uh, near the little theater behind a merchandising counter, and then I was in the little theater where actually they closed us in. And Rodney Dangerfield got up and did his act because he wouldn't get paid unless he did his act. Can you imagine? Hmm. But when you listen to, I think it was like, you know, by the time they finally like let us out, you know, the people that were remaining, which was us in the little theater, when, when we finally left and we stayed up and we started watching like, um, I think it was like Meet the Press and, you know, World News in the Morning, mm-hmm. the only mention they made of this event was the fact that um, yes, there was a little of excitement at MGM. It seems that people were mistaken um, for the excitement with champagne bottles popping and thought it was something else, but it was just a big celebration. Now, I mean, I, I was there. Yes. The, people were running, scr- I mean, it was a stampede. It was like a B-rated movie with a stampede because yeah. was, where people were running all over the place. They had um, you know, blackjack so what's the, what's, tables. What's the, lesson, what's the lesson from your story? My lesson from the story is it is still amazing how the media can be, when you have world media who shows up for a major event like that, that they can still be controlled by some higher force. Well, actually, the news is what the news media makes of it. They choose what they cover. Mm-hmm. And... Um, uh, I mean, fundamentally, the more you know about these events, the more you know that the people who came to cover a fight are not going to be covering other things. They're going to be covering the fight. There are other people who take care of covering this, the events you talked about. Mm-hmm. And if they're not covered, that's not the problem of the sports uh, uh, journalist. He's, he, he or she has her job to do. The media is and always has been very blinded by these sorts of things. We had a client one time who was trying to cite 
a landfill, and uh, there, there's enormous opposition to these sorts of activities, and the company's under attack, and most of my clients are under attack by somebody. And it turns out that um, not too far away from this particular site in Ohio, there was a, a place called city called Frenald, and at Frenald was a a former site where they manufactured uh, atomic bomb parts of one kind or another. <laughs> it, was, it was very polluted, right. and so the the um, the local um, um, uh, people who were against what we were doing, this company was trying to site this landfill. They wanted to team up with the people who were against Frenald. Um, and uh, well, the triggering event was the fact that Phil Donahue was going to broadcast his famous broadcast for his show from um, the uh, the local a local high school auditorium about Frenald. And um, when the, the local dissidents in our small town went to to hook up with um, with uh, Phil Donahue so they could get you know kill two birds with one stone, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Um, um, my, the, my client was all upset about it. Was really concerned, and there's quite a debate about how we should counter this. And I said, hey, relax. Phil Donahue got to be Phil Donahue because he does his show and his thing. He could care less about a landfill in this tiny little town. He's there to do Frenald. Right. And uh, so much to the anger of a lot of people around me, we sat tight. And sure enough, he did his show, and it was about Frenald, and he had all these people on, and they didn't. Not word, one word was mentioned about our particular project. The media does what the media focuses on, and they often exclude a great deal. I mean, if you want to look at if you look at media from a purely um, a pure delivery aspect, you know the fact is they deliver very little news compared to what's actually going on. Your story is a prime example of that. Uh, they choose, they select what it is, and um, and they and that's what they cover. Well, it's just very interesting because when you look at that story, you know, from a you know the, a, a today perspective, and you had like major sports figures and celebrities who, when the melee broke out. Um, blackjack tables were thrown over chips were thrown all over the place these people were shot on security tape you know grabbing this money for themselves and today if you saw like I'm not saying that Lindsay Lohan did this but if you saw like you know you heard that Paris Hilton or Lindsay Lohan was in Vegas something like this happened and they were scooping up chips for themselves well after the after the attack on the Israeli uh, Israelis at mm-hmm. the uh, the Winter Olympics I mean sports broadcasting was changed forever there they are now much more tuned in to, to harder news opportunities when they occur. Or sensationalist, scandalistic. Um, but speaking of non-sensationalist and scandalistic, let's take a quick little break and pay a little homage to our fabulous advertisers that make this program possible. We'll be right back with um, with Jim Lukachevsky. Stick around. Cover story. We'll be back after this short break. Once a tool used exclusively for communicating with the media, PR Web was the first company to develop a distribution strategy around direct-to-consumer communication by implementing Web 2.0 technologies. PR Web has completed the online communication loop by directly engaging your audience with your news. For example, PR Web is the first newswire to integrate press release trackback. Whether you want to dominate your market or just make a little noise, PR Web is here to help. You thrive in the marketplace and the media. PR Web. 
Over 4,000 clients around the world are utilizing effective content-based solutions from InfoSearch Media with the expertise of over 200 professional copywriters to work for you. Studies show that the number one factor visitors consider before making a purchase online is trust. And nothing creates more trust and loyalty than well-written, informative content. High-quality content also generates free search engine traffic. Content is definitely king. Visit InfoSearchMedia.com today. Dude, fishing in Costa Rica is going to be awesome. Amen, bro. Now that Value Click Media had netted FastClick, we've got one of the largest online advertising networks fishing us for big bucks. You know, while we're out catching snapper. Hey, Steve, you're coming too, right? No, I'm still using BenAsRUs.com. I can't afford to be away. you got to work with Value Click Media. i got this great account manager who's easy to work with, and they have access to the best advertisers and earn me high rates. Don't worry. We'll bring back pictures. Yeah, terrific. Visit Value Click Media now and click on Solutions for Publishers for more details. Value Click Media. Flashback, November 2004. A brand new radio station launched onto the World Wide Web. That station was WebmasterRadio.fm. Today, Webmaster Radio is one of the fastest growing internet media outlets in the world. The world. Webmaster Radio boasts one of the most respected talk radio lineups in the internet business world. Danny Sullivan, Chris Tall, Susan Brett, Jim Hedger, Barry Schwartz, Jeremy Shoemaker, Ryan and Jeffrey Eisenberg, Nyland, Katie Kempner. We travel coast to coast to bring you the most extensive and detailed live coverage of the most high profile trade shows in the world. Ad tech, search engine strategy, RSA, Webmaster World, DMA, Ecom Expo. And we have brought you keynote speeches and interviews of some of the biggest influential names in business today. Eric Schmidt, Andrew Hayward, Barry Diller, John Patel, Keith Ferraz, and way too many others to mention. Our live programming and on-demand podcasting keeps the B2B world informed. We are webmasterradio.fm and we're everywhere. Get clicked, covered, and ringed on. All week long on webmasterradio.fm. Your destination for education and entertainment. Webmasterradio.fm. We're everywhere. Commercials off. Now back to Cover Story. We're reserving a headline for you. Only on webmasterradio.fm. Here's your host. Hi, everyone. Welcome back. This is Brandy Shapiro-Babin, and I'm very pleased to have uh, as our featured guest today, Jim Lukachevsky. Uh, welcome back. Hey, good to be with you. This is terrific. So this is very interesting. So we're talking about media bias is actually what we're, what were the, the nuts and bolts of what we've gotten down to. Well, I, I don't look at it that way. Um, I think that, you know, the, the journalists have their, their particular role to play, and it, quite frankly, in my world, where my clients basically hired me to get them out of the media and get them out, you know, reduce the visibility, mm-hmm. um, uh, really the most reliable player in, in the whole scenario turns out to be the journalist, because journalists do what they do, and they do it the same way almost every time. They ask the same questions in the same similar circumstances. Um, and the patterns that they execute are the patterns that, that produce the product they want to. And so I tend to look at it as more, you know, they, they, they approach it from the professional pr- perspective of a journalist, and I have other responsibilities, which often include communicating with them. They often include communicating with other audiences more directly affected. Okay, so, so I don't look at it, I don't make judgments about these things quite the way the, the word bias tends to imply. 
Okay, no, no, very well, very well stated. <laughs> uh, but okay, so let let's talk about uh, because this I, I find this very interesting. Let let's talk about how to best communicate with journalists and what is it? Because you imply that there's a certain way that journalists like to communicate on a consistent basis so that they can have like a finished end product that's consistent. How would one go about, especially in in a scenario that they have a hot sensational story or that they're in a scenario where um, perhaps there's there's um, a bit of a fire, so to speak? How would one communicate with them so such that it could be packaged up in a way that's... Well, let me talk generally first, and we can talk specifically mm-hmm. about reporters, but when we're talking about crisis situations, which is what my field is, mm-hmm. I, I, first of all, I define a crisis as... Um, a, a, a show-stopping, people-stopping, product-stopping, reputationally defining or trust-busting event right. that creates victims and or explosive visibility. Many bad things happen, and there's no visibility, but they have to be dealt with because there are victims involved. And and if you follow that definition, two things happen. One is, um, for the most part, you're talking about stuff that really matters as, as opposed to someone's bad day because they you know, their car didn't start or something. Um, and you're talking about the most important aspect that attracts reporters and coverage, and that is victims. It's victims that make a crisis a crisis. So understanding that dynamic helps you begin to plan for how you need to communicate about it. And and when it comes to responding to crisis, there's a definite uh, pattern of success in dealing with these situations. And let me talk more. It's, just, it's a five-step process. It's very easy to explain. Um, when, when your, your first responsibility when a crisis happens is to stop the production of victims. If, you know, if it's leaking, foaming, stinking, burning, smelling, killing, whatever it's doing, right, stop, right, get right. that stopped. That right. has to be the first step. Right, to take responsibility for your actions so you show that you're, that you're being proactive. Well, the first, the first step is to put the fire out or right, stop right, it. Okay? Right. The, second step, the second step is to manage the victims that have been created by your problem, whether, whether you're responsible or not. Typically you are. My clients are in some respects. So, mm-hmm. so you need to deal with the, the, what those victims are, are experiencing because failure to do that is what draws the news media. Failure to do it is, is what gets you in trouble. Failure to do that is what causes litigation, irritation, and the rest of it. The third step is employee communication. In other words, communicating with those people close in the organization because typically in these circumstances when bad things happen, employees communicate about it, and if you don't talk to them, they make it up and talk anyway. Right, they, so, they make their own, assu- they make their own right. assumptions, which is very, very scary. Exactly, right. Everyone sometimes sometimes they're right, but most of the time they're wrong. And there, need, there does need to be a company line. Everyone needs to be enrolled and also feel good that if you work for a company, you are a representative of that company and you're being labeled as such. And I think that um, you know, the obligation uh, when you do create victims is, is to get the story out there as promptly as you can. And one of the ways that's going to happen is by dealing with, with uh, employees. The fourth step is, uh, is notifying those who are indirectly affected. These could be, uh, 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 could be allies in your company. It could be of your company. It could be public officials or government agencies. It could be neighbors, for that matter, things like that. Um, and and uh, people who aren't really victimized by it, but don't have a problem because they know you or are associated with you in some respect. And then the final, the final or the fifth step is dealing with what I call the self-appointed, self-anointed, those who opt in on their own. Nobody asks them in. They come in. This includes critics, competitors, and to some extent the news media. They come whether, whether, they, whether they're asked or right. not, they come there. Okay. Now, the thing that's important about these five steps is th- this is all done within the first hour of the problem. We call this the golden hour. Okay. Uh, and, and, and the reason we call it the golden hour is because we've learned that in, in, in dealing with injuries, severe injuries of human beings and animals, that if you get them into serious treatment in the first hour, they survive.
thrive much more rapidly. So this is like a metaphor for how to really deal with these problems. So you're going to be dealing with all these elements of it very, very quickly and all essentially at the same time. Failure to deal with any of these elements effectively can cause a failure of your response and a failure of your reputation So, and those things that matter. But it starts with managing the victims because each one of these steps that you do effectively reduces the potential for coverage. Right. It reduces the public interest. The, the media generally doesn't report on companies to do, who do well in these circumstances. Right, right. They're looking for something else. Right, they're, they're looking for scandal. They're looking to find a hole. They're looking for the conflict. Yeah. They're looking for the confrontation. That's correct. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, absolutely. Frankly, they're, they're looking for the stuff that's interesting. Um, and they're also, I think, looking to protect the victims from further harm and to prevent, and to prevent the production of victims. So I think the motivation is important to note uh, as to why, why the media is so important in these transactions. I've also learned that basically because the patterns of their response are predictable, that we can plan well ahead of time to be ready and responsive when we know something has happened for which we're going to have to communicate. Um, but I think the thing that's different about my strategy and my thinking about mm-hmm. this is that that all of these responses are taking place at the same time, which have the tendency then to reduce the overall interest in what, what's going on. So what you're doing is what you're saying is you've got this group of people and basically we've got an hour. You're responsible for this. You're responsible for this. You're responsible for this. So that way everything is as neat and clean as possible. So then if, you know, quote unquote, God forbid you do need to go public with it, you can already show that you've taken steps to do the right thing, to rectify where you've been, and that you're proactively moving forward. Well, well the problem with crisis is, and, and anyone who's been through one will tell you this, is you don't know anything. I mean, you, it's a crisis. It's happened. You don't know anything. Right. Um, there's this impression somehow that within five minutes of something exploding somewhere that the CEO is fully briefed and understands the, d- the dimensions of what's going on or somebody does. You know, you talk to any CEO or anybody who's been through one of these circumstances, they'll, they'll tell you the worst thing about it is that they, they really the last to know the stuff that matters. So which, well, the reason for this response is not only is it, a, is, it, is it a sensible way to manage the situation, but it allows you to talk about what you're doing as, a, as opposed to what you don't know. Right. Um, right. And, that, and, 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 that, and talking about that builds public confidence in the fact that you actually can handle these situations, even though there are many unknowns. You're also then dealing with the fact that the, 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 the reporter is, is um, in a sense, uh, wanting to know more immediately. And so they go to other sources, they go to the web, and they find other similar circumstances, and they'll begin to report on what happened to somebody else in a similar circumstance, and suddenly you're responding for yourself and somebody you don't even know right, went right. this a year ago. Right, because you're getting lobbed into into someone else. <coughs> and let me ask so, you a question, though, I from and I apologize for interrupting. Sure. Um, but what we're finding a lot, or... or, or I don't agree or disagree with this, but do you that maybe 10, you know, crisis management 10 years ago is a lot different, let's say, than crisis management today, that the way that reporting is done is, hey, you know, God forbid, let's say there was an explosion somewhere and you're the CEO of a company. Well, you don't really know what the effects of that were. You don't know how many people were killed. You don't know what the after effects are going to be as far as like, you know, um, po- you know, air pollution or, or, or what have you. But if you come out and you say, hey, we know that this happened and we are working proactively to make this happen, that honesty a lot of times is what is going to have people respond a lot better to you versus let's say 10 years or before was more of a spin. I think there's actually, I think, I think that I've been doing this for more than 10 right. years. So, I mean, I, I was there. Right, 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 right. <laughs> I, I don't, I think actually news coverage is pretty much the same. Um, they have the same questions, the mm-hmm. same issues. 
Um, even even the problems that cause these situations are the same. It's bizarre that you you, know, you would think, well, how can you have a, have a career in managing bad news? Wouldn't they learn how not to do this badly over time? And the answer is no, they don't learn this stuff. So I have, a, I have an interesting career managing these problems. The media has been pretty similar and consistent right, in their okay. behavior since okay. I got into the business and okay. government back in the 70s. Okay, you, you know what? And I find it so interesting. I just picture all of these these men um, and women in, in their, 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 their finely woven suits in panic mode, and here comes Jim. Well, what, yes. You know, c- calm, calm as a cucumber, because this is what you do. I mean, that's I, really. I mean, that that's that's really great. What's really changed, I think, is the nature of the audience. Um, the reason that they didn't report on President Kennedy and these other people, in the, in the, back to your earlier question, mm-hmm. is because it wasn't publicly acceptable to talk about these things, even in the media. You know, even the reporter's mother said, "Don't talk about this stuff," so they didn't. But you look at us today with reality television and all this stuff, uh, you know, all, the, the, the explosion of pornography through the web and through videotape recordings and stuff like that has happened. Our society and the world in general has just become more tolerant of these more explosive and disclosive techniques. So they were, they were always there. I mean, if you, there's a wonderful book out called The Infamous Scribblers by Eric Burns, who's on, uh, Fox Television, mm-hmm. and it's a, it's a book about journalism at the time of the American Revolution, and it, when you read that book, it's, he tells wonderful stories in there. It's like he's talking about, you know, he's talking about President uh, President Clinton. I mean, right. there, there was there was so much so many attacks on George Washington. I mean, here George Washington, this tremendously iconic figure, but the media spent half the time trying to rip his guts out because this is what the media tends to want to do with politicians. Oh, absolutely. Um, well, especially anyone that's trying to control how you live. I'm sorry? You know, anyone that's, that's, you know, perceived as someone who's controlling how you live, you want to rip them inside and out because at the end of the day, they're representing you. Well, I, I, don't, I don't know about the control issue so much, but um, I mean, I, I, I'm just, I mean, this is the world we live in, and so right. this is the world you have to learn to deal with. Right. You know? No, I'm with you. I'm with you. No, no I'm saying from a, from a perspective of, you know, when you have a president or you have a politician, oh, okay. the politician is viewed well, as someone that has... The issue in all of these political scandals is behavior. Right. That's the issue in crisis. Right. Really, the issue in crisis is essentially changing behavior so that these things can be, can be you know can be re, can be preempted from happening again. And you know all the media coverage in the world and, and good media relations you know will not make up for an executive who refuses to learn and change their behavior right. in the organization as a result. Right. A history repeats itself. So keep reminding yourself of history. It's not as likely to happen again. But B, I, I do find it. You know, I, I, I personally find it um, fairly repugnant that, um, you know, it's that, it's that, I guess that's that old adage of don't get caught, right? Like, I think the whole, the, the American mentality is very different from the European culture because I, I was over in Europe during the whole Clinton scandal. And they, they were like, I don't understand why your people are so upset about this. That's the European view, right? That's their European view, completely different than our view. Right. And my thing is, yes. Um, and I'll go on record for saying this. Like I, I like the whole Monica Lewinsky thing. I, I could care less. But I think the mentality of America is a lot of times, or at least this person's opinion is, what you do behind your closed door is your business. Just keep it behind your closed door because if you're messing up in public this badly, you are representing us as a people, and I can't control you. And we tend to be a lot more um, um, conservative. In the and in, in that regard, I think that's very true. I do. I, we have we have a very conservative country. Absolutely, we're a very 
moralistic country, very religious country. It's a surprise I think, for people to think about that, but we certainly are. I mean, one of the things that happens in catastrophe, I mean, is is um, people go to church here in the United States. We 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 we, we seek spiritual counsel for so many things here. It's very interesting that, but what gets what is newsworthy, of course, is when 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 crazy dumb things happen in spite of of our behaviors and our and what see to our apparent belief systems. And I, and I think crisis management has to accommodate that. And one of the things that I'm always faced with in these circumstances is the behavior aspect of things. I once had a company that pled guilty to almost 300 felonies. Oh, my God. <laughs> and, um, you know, one is bad enough, but that's right. a bunch. And, 300. Um, I mean, what's, what, what, what's your best odds on something like that? And as I was talking with the, the management team about, with the law firm, actually, uh, about how they were going to have to run the company differently in the future because of this plea agreement they signed with the federal government, I mean, the, one of the one of the executives in the country, when the, in the in the meeting, raised his hand and said, "Jim, you know, whenever you're around here, it feels a lot like Sunday school." And I said, "Well, if I own, if I ran a company that just pled guilty to 391 felonies, you know, a little Sunday school might be a good thing." <laughs> yeah, right, exactly. And, and everybody laughed but him, you know. Right, right. Um, but but we, this is the kind of country we are. It's a it's really a good thing um, um, because we have this sort of moral compass and. One institution, society that keeps dragging us back there right. when we grow up, when we go away from it is is the news media, as irritating and aggravating and agitating as it seems to be. Right, like the president of Sav- of Savas Corporation. That was humorous. Sure, that was humorous. Uh, let's do this, Jim. Let's take a quick break. Sure, and uh, we will be right back with cover story and our featured guest, Jim Luchowski. Stick around. Cover story. We'll be back after this short break. It's all about links, baby. Content is king, but links are what you need to get you those all-important organic search listings. Float to the top of your keyword listings within the major portals while driving targeted traffic to your website at the same time. Work with a company with a proven track record for delivering results for thousands of individual website owners and major Fortune 500 companies. TextLinkAds.com is your source for securing relevant links. Baby, TextLinkAds.com. Now, experience the future of web design and development with a whole new level of efficiency, expressiveness, and simplified workflow. Introducing Studio 8, a compilation of the latest releases from Dreamweaver, Flash Professional, Fireworks, Contribute, and Flash Paper. Sure to inspire you to create superior online video sites and mobile content. And now, through this exclusive WebmasterRadio.fm offer, listeners can save a whopping $100 off Studio 8. Visit the online store at Adobe or contact Adobe Customer Services and provide promo code Webmaster Radio in order to receive your discount. Studio 8, your way to create. Are you getting the most out of your online advertising? Now get more from your media spend with superior real-time targeting and creative optimization technology. Get more now from Casali Media. Casali Media. Save big as Casali Media's ad experts place your premium campaigns across the web's hottest properties at the most competitive rates. Want more? Get, get more. Visit casalimedia.com slash more to request your media kit. Casali Media. Advertising online is better here. Casali Media. 
Inside the media, you know, that company I work for still. Um, apparently, they're going to be doing these search engine strategies webinars, and to do these webinars, they want to have some sponsorships on them. So they sent out an email. Apparently, they sent it out to, I guess, previous sponsors or whatnot. Uh, Stony DeGuter over search engine guys was one of the people who was surprised to discover that they sent the email to everybody using their email addresses in the CC field rather than the BCC field. <laughs> so Stony's all happy because he's got like the uh, contact details of 35 Google. Google employees, some look smart people, some Microsoft people, and a large number of his competitors. Distributing a list of email contacts like this is just bad, bad, bad. And you should, I, you should not work there anymore. <laughs> the Daily Searchcast with Danny Sullivan. Now, five days a week. Monday through Thursdays at 11.30 a.m. Eastern, 8.30 a.m. Pacific. Fridays catch the week in review as we play back all four of this week's shows at 11 a.m. Eastern, 8 a.m. Pacific. Only on WebmasterRadio.fm. This is Reverend Jesse Jackson. Keep hope alive with Webmaster Radio. Commercials off. Now back to Cover Story. We're reserving a headline for you. Only on WebmasterRadio.fm. Here's your host. Hi, everyone. This is Brandy Shapiro-Babin. And let me not murder the last name of our fabulous featured guest for the 500th time. It is Jim, or yet James. That's the easy part. It's Lukachevsky, Lukachevsky, Lukachevsky. There you go. Good for you. Thank you very much. My husband's going to be very upset tonight as I start screaming that in the middle of the night because it's going to be so ingrained in my brain. <laughs> no problem. It happens a lot. <laughs> oh, really? No, it doesn't. <laughs> Uh, I apologize profusely. You know, you're just no you're just so charming. You get me tongue tied when it comes to your name. We only have a few more minutes here, so I am going to ask you to come back for a part two because we're getting really tremendous feedback from the information that you're giving to our listening audience. Good, um, which is important. So now, now, now you've on air. Are you? Um, we're, we're making sure that you commit to a part two with us, a part two, as it were. Sure. Cool. Cool. Um, so where we left off, I mean, this, th- there's so many interesting uh, topics here. I mean, you know, we, we, we started talking about that whole, you know, the, the Savas Corporation CEO. For those of you that aren't familiar, I think he went to a gentleman's club and spent something like $1.4 million, which, which is crazy. And obviously, I believe he was removed as CEO, Yes. I don't know that I'm familiar with the circumstances you're talking about. What, what I tend, the way I tend to work, though, is I tend to, I tend to, and I guess is the benefit of experience is that the moment I understand what the problem is or when I hear what the, the, top, the topic is, I recognize that there's a there's a pattern at play here, um, and and the concept of responding to crisis really is responding and working against the pattern of events you know has happened. Or is about to happen. For example, someone calls me and says, "We have a uh, we have a, an employee tomorrow is going to file a lawsuit against us for sexual harassment." And my I'll, and and and, they'll, and I'll say, "And how many executives are involved?" And they'll say, "Well, no, it's just if she's just suing one person." I'm said, "Well, my question is, how many executives are involved?" And she said, "No, no, there's just one." And, they, and I'll respond. The answer is that there's always more than one because this behavior doesn't happen in secret. People know about it. Right. They don't talk about it. There's more exact. I mean, they not be they they not be having a, you know they not be actually exercising bad behavior, but they are aware of what's going on. And in many cases, if there's a boss involved, he is. 
by his by his non-action mm-hmm. authorizing the bad actions of this person. And you better tell everybody that this is going to come out as a part of the process. How, and I'll ask, well, how many women are involved? They'll say, was only one person filing a lawsuit. I said, yeah, but the pattern is that one, a person who abuses one person, one woman mm-hmm. will, will have the same behavior with other women. Find out who's worked for him and who isn't working for him anymore, where they went and why they left. There's going to be there always, almost always more women involved. And then at that point in time, someone comes on the line and says, Jim, who have you been talking to? You know, and the answer is no one. This is the pattern of events. So let's get ready for the pattern of events so we can get this thing resolved appropriately uh, and promptly the way, it, the way other employees would expect. Because the number one question in sexual harassment is not what's going to be in the headlines. It's the safety of women at work. Absolutely. So right. the, you know, and part of my job is really to, 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 to cut through all this, this stuff, the buzz around these circumstances, mm-hmm. and talk about what really matters. And it's always the victims. Well, I was going to say, identifying victims. victims. Thank you, because I was listening to you. I wanted to get that out faster than you, but you got it out faster because it's your, it's your list of five. Sure. Um, but that's true, and it's understanding. And you know something at its basis? I think the only thing I ever agreed with um, Freud is that everyone gets caught up in the complexity and ambiguity of things when everything in life is simple. And I think the point that I took from that was, yes, people have a pattern of behavior. And what you said just made so much sense that, and especially considering human nature, if one person stands up and says, you know what, that man sexually harassed me, that once that one person has the guts to get up and say it, others will follow suit. My, my mother never, ever understood what I did, but um, she'd ask me from time to time, and I said, well, my job, I have two jobs. Mm-hmm. The first one is to simplify things, you know, just get them down to, to sort of the, the rock-bottom mm-hmm. fundamentals of what's actually going on, and the second task is to deal with them constructively. Right. Um, right. And, and the lesson from that in crisis management is, rather than requiring an army to deal with these things, which is really rarely necessary, you need somebody who's been through it before and is, who survived, so to speak, to manage the process. And, and typically, when I come on board, uh, this is the, you, when you introduced me, you talked about the police, the way I characterize it is that my clients have tried everything else, everything possible to not do anything until they have no options left but to deal with me or the, or the cops, so to speak. Um, and that's so intense. I have that's intense. That may really take a moment to pause. Yeah, <laughs> I have a kind of a different perspective on how these things happen. But here again, I mean, I also understand the patterns of executive behavior. I can tell you, you know, what behave, what, what executives are doing. I, and, and the reason I mentioned the website earlier, e911.com, is because mm-hmm. uh, the, things I, the things we're talking about today are written about extensively on this website, and people can download this information for their own benefit if they care to. You should. It's a tremendous education. There's a lot, a lot of information over there, people. And with Jim's background, I mean, I mean, I can go in. I mean, forget the being quoted in the Wall Street Journal and the Baltimore, you know, Times and all in the, the the Miami Herald and all of sure. this good stuff. I mean, you, you know, I, I'm I'm looking at your bio, and your bio is entirely too long for me to start reading off all of your accomplishments. But truly, I mean, when, and I've spoken to a lot of people, when it comes to crisis management and someone that can handle things in a humane way and be able to, um, you know, you you do a really good job at being a very humane person who has a lot of integrity, who can also take very um, obtuse what, to, uh, to other people, very obtuse situations, and refine them in a way that they can um, absorb them and then utilize them in their own workspace, and hopefully avoid having to call you. And I think that's a major contribution. Well, I think that um, uh, most professionals who 
Tuolumne will, will often start by saying, Jim, I know who you are, but I never ever thought in my life I'd ever be talking right. to you God about forbid. this place I work today. <laughs> right. Yeah. What What's the craziest, don't name the company, and we've, we've only got a few more minutes, but what is the uh, craziest, most off-the-hook um, scenario you've ever had to deal with that you you even felt that you were outside your own realm. Well, I th- I think I think in recent days um, the, the toughest areas to work in are um, areas that deal with the abuse of children or those sorts of things. I'm just seeing more and more of this. We're dealing with this within company settings. I have a fairly large practice in the educational arena, um, mm-hmm. and uh, we're just we're just seeing more of of these uh, child abuse scenarios and that sort of thing, assault scenarios. And I think those are, those are the, I think, the most, the saddest of the kinds of things I deal with. I deal with sort of really, really stupid stuff by very smart people. But right. that, to me, is it's the, it's, the, it's the victim trauma that is so devastating and so difficult um, to, to comprehend has that it, people like to do these things. Has it always been there? Has, have these issues always been there in this magnitude and it's just coming out now? Well, I think it's hard to say, but what has happened in the in the, in the area of, of of child abuse and child legislation is that you know a lot we have a lot tougher laws on children now, governing children now, and mm-hmm. a lot bigger responsibilities for individuals in society, and 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 they're being taken seriously, you know, so so that um, uh, we're just paying a lot more attention to it than we have in the past. I I, I don't know if it's been prevalent in the past or not. I, I just don't have any data on that, so to speak. But we're we're paying a lot more attention to it now. Um, and as a consequence, we're recognizing and seeing more of this occur. I think, I think from the standpoint of disappointment, that on, on the disappointment scale, those are the things that, uh, that, that sort of disappoint me, as it were. But I've seen a lot of crazy stuff in my career, that's for sure. Oh, I, I'm, I'm sure of that. I'm sure of that. And you know what? I, I, I think we need to save that to part two. I have so many more questions I want to ask you. We're actually getting uh, calls in here and uh, and messages in here about questions that people want to ask you. I'll be happy to deal with them, sure. So I'm, I'm, I'm so very happy. I will have uh, someone get a hold of you so we can schedule a part two. And thank you so much, Jim Lugachevsky for spending time with us. For those of you that are listening, you can also go over and get some fabulous information over at Jim's website, which is www.e911.com. Yep. And uh, Jim, it was spectacular having you on the show. Thank you for taking the time. My pleasure. Enjoy. All right, guys. Uh, we'll be back. Same time, same bat channel, and continue listening because we've got a fabulous lineup of shows geared for you today. <laughs> <laughs>